Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today on the next episode of Women in B2B Marketing. And today we have with us Camille Trent, who is Director of Content and Community at PeerSignal.org and podcast host, yay, fellow podcast host of Content Logistics, which I highly recommend you check out some solid guests on there. So welcome, Camille. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Jane. Awesome. I was recommended by actually a few people to have you on the show. So I'm very excited to dive in. We had a lot to talk about even before we turn the mics on. So I'm definitely going to make you repeat yourself. I apologize. But I'd love to, I always kick off the show with just how did you get into B2B marketing? How did you find yourself in this space? Mm, Okay. Yeah. So after college, uh, I'd studied advertising. I thought uh, I was going to write like goofy commercials and jingles and more and like definitely more in like the B2C space was was the vision, right? Like uh, working with, I don't know, Oreo and Doritos and that kind of thing. Super Bowl ads, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so yeah, I won't go off on a tangent here, but like I, I say that I like peaked in college and that like I got to help with like a, a Super Bowl ad or pitch an idea for a Super Bowl ad that that ran for it was Taco Bell. And at the time, that's what? so cool. <laughs> I lived on Taco Bell because I was in college. And so, <laughs> yeah, so anyways, that was the dream. I was I was living the dream. And uh, yeah, but then my um, I got 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 married like right out of college and uh, my uh, husband uh, works in science and his job is <laughs> now like uh, immunology and like he was getting a PhD and he was uh, getting an infectious disease, right? And so uh, he had like a good this opportunity. This is before the pandemic? This is before the, the, before the pandemic, yeah. Wow. So, uh, so he, he got a good opportunity uh, for grad school to do that in Galveston, which has some sort of like high-level labs. And so we moved to, we moved to like the Houston area and a lot of, like a lot of the business like in, in Houston is like, is B2B, right? And so... So there just like weren't the same opportunities as there might be in, you know, LA, New York and uh, what I was envisioning for like, you know, the cool ad agency that I wanted to work at. And so, uh, yeah, so I found myself, you know, working at primarily like a B2B agency, did like a lot of like uh, production work, did a lot of like video and um, but got to work with like some some big tech companies like HPE, like their enterprise arm and uh linksys and a lot of tech companies so it was good uh in that front and yeah learned learned a lot and just kind of wrote was a copywriter wrote all sorts of copy for all sorts of things so that was my start and then from there like i i got a few uh sort of like local more local marketing jobs and so started learning uh, sort of broadening i guess my skill sets and like learning some some social learning some seo and researching online marketing i guess uh i guess at night and so was doing all that and, um, you know, started like posting some of my learnings, I guess, on LinkedIn and just getting act- more active in marketing communities and things and just got an opportunity to kind of break into startup world and and from there, like the tech startup world. And so, yeah, uh, once I did that, that was all in the B2B space. And here I am. It just snowballed from there and just kept getting bigger and bigger. That's it. Very cool. I love that. And I'm sure your husband is also flourishing on, on his side of things too, with everything going on the past few years. Crazy. Yeah. He studied more like um, bacterial side of things versus like uh, uh, viral. Um, so he can it. still do viral work, but with a, 
kind of funny thing, like funny is the wrong word, but was right before the pandemic hit was when he graduated. So so he graduated in, I think, like 2019, I guess it would have been. Yeah. And uh, he was like, you know, like, it's just so unpredictable, like where there's going to be funding here and like in this world. And so I'm going to go like more the immunology type like route. Right. Wow. Um, and so he and then that was kind of his specialty anyways. Right. Uh, but yeah, so he, he didn't end up doing COVID work. Right. But he did his postdoc work was in arthritis. Right. Like studying arthritis and some of those kind of like chronic diseases like that, which are a little bit more wow. evergreen, a little bit more predictable. But then, but yeah, then there was a ton of a ton of funding for yeah. uh, for just disease research uh, the next couple of years. So Wow. Um, so interesting. Cool. So a few things for you. So getting into content and one thing I know that I was asked to, to talk to you about is content logistics, also the name of your podcast show. Can you talk to us a little bit about A, how you got into starting the show and what it means to you and then content logistics themselves? What does it, what does that actually mean or entail? And if you have a a playbook um, of sorts for content logistics or content marketing. Yeah, yeah. So how it got started was uh, I think in I think mid like 2020. Yeah, I, I started posting about any learnings from from content marketing or um, trying to summarize plays, I guess, or formats of like just things that worked basically. Like uh, anytime I kind of like stumbled into okay, this this works really well, and this is kind of me trying to boil down my thoughts to like, what's the the one important insight. So it was a good forcing function of of writing, right? To just get get better at writing, get better at editing. So I was just trying to write something and then also post it. And so so I was doing that for like uh for like a year or so. It was probably probably like a year in, and then actually like the team the team emotion reached out and we're like, hey, we're looking to maybe add like another podcast to our to our own shows. Doing I think they were doing just one at the time with uh, another creator, Nick. Shout out to him. His was a different focus. It was on kind of like building, building your personal brand at the time. And so they're like, this one, your focus is, is content marketing. Let's do one specifically about content marketing. And I wanted to do it about how can you help content marketers um, and just the content marketing department drive revenue, right? Like what, which content like drives revenue and how, how does it drive revenue and how can you kind of like establish that confidence as a, uh, as either like a content specialist or a content leader uh, working in B2B, right? Because it can be like a little bit removed and like the journey is not linear all the time. So so that was so kind true. of a focus. And then also wanted to make sure each episode was about a certain content play, right? Or a certain content strategy. So have it have be a little bit of like a masterclass like type feel um, where everything's very like actionable. So that was kind of the the concept for it. Pitch them on it. They liked it. And so we just, uh, we worked together. I did none of the the production work, but they worked to, to produce it. And then I worked, you know, to get the, the guests lined up and figure out what the format was going to look like and do the interviews. So yeah, create the actual content. Amazing. Yeah. And they help you package it up. Very cool. Exactly. Everyone check out the show. It's, there's some great episodes I for sure have downloaded to, to listen to. So curious content logistics, the name of the show, but also in and of itself, what do you consider content logistics, like the whole from start to finish the creation of, of content, like everything you need to get together? And maybe what are some things that people forget in, to involve and include in their content logistics plan? Yeah, good question. So I think 
a lot of uh, content marketers come from journalism or, you know, they had English degrees. Like most content marketers, I think are good at creating content, right? And yeah, they either come from like more of the social space um, or creator kind of space or a more traditional like route through school or SEO. Like there's, there's all of that. And so they're, they're good at that. And then unless you are coming from like an SEO background, where you really understand that as like a distribution channel, or maybe you really understand social as a distribution channel, you're probably like lacking on one side or the other, right? You're usually pretty like strong on how do we create the content? How do we create good content? And maybe like a little bit lacking in the, like, how do we distribute this? And like, what's the, what's the ecosystem of, of content, right? How does it all connect together? And then like, how do we distribute it in like a systematic way? So when I pitched the, that name for the show, it was, thinking about content as a factory, like how can we like standardize content and how can we like think about sort of like content production through the lens of marketing, like as this, <laughs> as this factory. Right. So, and that's kind of like what I, what I wanted to get at is like different episodes talking about like the different functions, you know, that you'd have like within a, <laughs> within a content uh, factory of sorts. Right. Like how do you like, you, you start with like the, the raw material, right? Like uh, you have to get good at, at interviewing and like collecting data from surveys or data from other sources, right? Like you have have like your your raw content, then you also have to figure out, you know, like the outlining process, right? And like, uh, if you're talking about building a house or whatever, like you're putting up like the frame for the house. And so there's that side of it. And then there's kind of like the polish like that goes in there, you know, the same thing that exists in, in a factory. And then there's like some quality assurance, right? There's like that quality assurance department. that's like, okay, what things do we check for every time? Like, how do we make sure that things don't slip through the cracks? Cause we're always looking for the same things. And so, yeah, it's just like, how do you um, kind of like scale or like create something that is, is scalable, create more of like a program than just like a one-off. So really just trying to get, I think, content marketers off the hamster wheel, but also get them sort of like a seat at the table, right? Of like, how can you explain what you do, right? And how can you do what you do in like a more systematic way? And then how how is how does that drive revenue for the company, right? So like really understanding what it is that department does and like how how it drives like the outcomes you want to drive. Yeah. And I should know this um, coming into this interview. I apologize, but how many um, episodes have you had on the show so far? I think it's, I think it's over 30. I know I should, should know, nice. no, but I, I want to say it's like 38. Uh, wow. Kudos. That's huge in podcast world. Yeah. It's been fun. Have you and having 20 to 30 plus um, interviews with people, what have you learned or what's like a one or two t- main takeaways that come to mind when asked this question, like about improving your own content logistics and strategies? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, so that's been like really the biggest benefit of the show for me is just uh, learning, right? Like, uh, like yes. just like the opportunity to like sit down and like learn from smart people. And not only that, but like smart people whose specialty is different from mine, right? Like I I specifically like seek out people that's like have done like a specific content strategy like over and over again to the point like where they're like, you know, the top, the top expert like in that specific like niche thing. So it's, you know, things like content templates like for a PLG like type company and like, how do you do that? How do you do that well, right? It might be like growing a newsletter, right? And so, yeah. uh, so sometimes like I, I really am like, I'm working on this thing. Like, how do I seek out someone <laughs> who's doing this exact same thing? I love that. 
That's always helpful. But yeah, go go back to the, to the question again because there's there's the first part of this question that I I don't want to forget. Yeah, um, just in having all of these interviews with these smart people who are super actionable, what's like one or two mm, takeaways okay. that that have stood out to you the most? It's probably thirty eight. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> different okay, takeaways so you have, but top I, one or two. Yeah, yeah, I, I posted about some of them actually the other day, so so hopefully oh, cool. it's still fresh. But a couple of just like the actionable like quick tips where. You know, someone asked me the other day, uh, and it's like a good friend who has a much more successful podcast that, than mine. It's a, a, like one of the top, I think it is the top like sales podcast. And so, but he was asking, okay, like what if you have like a, a bad interviewee, right? If you have a, a bad interviewer or there's just, you know, I think what he was alluding to is like, they're not as upbeat, right? Like the, maybe it's more like one word answers or things like that. Oh, um, so yeah. how do you prevent, how do you prevent like those types of situations and make the best of them. Right. And so my thought is, is like, if you have the mindset of like, there's, there's no bad interviewers, they're just bad questions, right. Mm -hmm. That it's a good forcing function for me to just like prepare, prepare really well, have, have good questions and like also kind of already know what those answers are going to be. Right. Like if I'm inviting a subject matter expert on, it's usually because like, they've already been talking about what their specialty is and like what their point of view is uh, on marketing or on content marketing. So I can kind of like shape the interview around that of like starting with the irritating, like the problem. Right. And so thinking about the episode as a, as a story format, right. Like how do we get listeners to care about this to begin with? Right. Or at least get on the same page that this is a problem (laughs) that we're going to fix. And so it's like, you know, what problems do we see? Like what are the main things that bother you about this? So we'll start in a place like where they're, they're passionate about usually. So that helps. And then that also just makes it more of a conversation upfront, right? So it's like the, the softball answers of like, okay, what's, you know, what's your content specialty, what problems and what, what are the most common things people get wrong about this? We start kind of there. And then it's really just like the basic journalism, like who, what, when, where, why, right? So if you think of those as like your guiding light throughout it of like, hey, did we cover off on all these things? Like different formats are going to be different, but for mine, like I'm trying to get pretty comprehensive and covering everything about that topic or everything that's possible within like 45, then about 45 minutes. Yeah. And so there's that. And then like the, the quick tips are basically just like, muting myself. Cause I find, and if you listen, if you listen to the podcast, like I'll think someone's done, I'll like start jumping in. Like, I'll just be really excited about, about the conversation that they had more to say. And so I think I've been a little bit better about with these tips, like, uh, to mute myself. Right. So like when they're talking, I'll be muting myself. So then I have to like go up to, <laughs> yeah, like I have to go up to my trackpad and then like unmute myself. Right. So it gives it just like a beat or two, which doesn't seem like anything, but then when there is that silence, like they might think of one more thing and then they'll keep talking. Right. And you wouldn't have gotten that, uh, had you like not paused or let, or just let it breathe a little bit. So there's that part. And then it also helps with just like not interrupting even when, when you're not trying to. So there's kind of like the, the hit pause. And then the other things are really just rephrase and recap, like are my two kind of, uh, rules with it. So if you're maybe like not getting the full answer, or it's not as like quite as comprehensive as you're hoping for. I just assume that it's the way that I phrase the question, right? So it's like, okay, he they're perceiving it as this, like I need to rephrase the question as that. And I'll try and do that like later on 
in the show. So it doesn't kind of like feel like we're like, I'm grilling them. Like you're correcting <laughs> Although, them or. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah, so that's one. And then the other, the other thing that I like to do even better than that is, is just rephrasing or like recapping. So it makes sure that I'm engaged. Like I'm listening for, like I'm using critical listening to listen for the answer and making sure that I understand it well enough to repeat it back. Right. And so, so I'll be like, okay, like I heard this, is that right? And so, yeah, so I'll kind of be like, okay, it's kind of like this. Sometimes it'll be like, it reminds me of this analogy, right? So I can like rephrase it of what makes sense to me. And then they'll either be like, no, like that's not quite it. And then they'll rephrase it for you. Or they'll be like, yeah, that's, that's actually a good way of thinking about it. And, you know, and they'll add on to that as well. So I think those things are ways that you can kind of live edit is how I've been thinking about it. You really can't edit a podcast live the way that you would, you know, when you're writing. And so that's a way to kind of like help direct and like self edit the show um, or those couple tricks. Yeah. So interesting. And these are probably tips that can be applied for a lot of content creation types, right? So any kind of interview you're doing or um, collaboration of sorts, whether it's video or some of these can be applied to written as well. And how to, if somebody doesn't provide the answer that you're looking for in a written format, when you do a QA for a quality content piece, right? There's just lots of tips on that side too. It's interesting. Yeah, like the, the interview interview tips are important for like any content type, like you're saying, right? Like the definitely the, the written side, right? And then yeah. even, yeah, when I was when I was telling my my friend, like, you know, my couple tips for this, he's like, it's funny because that's because he comes from sales. And he was like, this is just like sales 101 too. Like it's funny <laughs> that I, didn't, I didn't think about it this way too, because it's like, that's mirroring, right? Like that's what they'd call that technique is like you like mirror the, the wow. person that you're talking to, right? Or you'll repeat like the last few yeah. words and just be like with a question mark uh, and then they'll kind of like repeat it back. And so, so it applies like not only just to, to all assets of or aspects of content, but sales too, right? Like pretty much uh, it's going to help you like just become a better communicator. And so that's what I try and focus on is like uh, skills to become a better communicator. And then also I think of it as, as like growth marketing too, like on the distribution side, like how do you become a better growth marketer? And then you'll have, again, more confidence in your role because you feel, you'll feel like you're doing two roles uh, in a way that you can really justify. So true. And speaking of the growth component, do you have any thoughts on, because content logistics is like your personal show, which is amazing for your personal brand. Have you learned anything or seen anything that we would recommend to somebody? Let's say we have a listener who's starting a podcast for their company. Mm -hmm. um, whether they're hosting it or the founder of the company is, but they're getting the podcast going ultimately as a demand gen tool at the end of the day. It'll take time. First plug. But <laughs> is there anything you've learned that you think should be applied or that someone should know if they're starting a podcast for their company? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think one of the most important things is who is like the face like of the podcast and how are you making sure that like the advice or like the expertise there is going to live up to what's expected like from your ideal audience, right? So for instance, like if you're expecting C-level people to tune into this, like, is that going to work if you have an intern running it? And I think that it can, by the way, like, but I think like you're probably like best off if the CEO is on board, right? Like the founder or CEO, like that's probably the person that other C-level people want to talk to is other CEOs, right? Other founders, right? Um, 
Like that's, that's who they really want to talk to the most. And so, so there's that. And then there are ways around that though, right? You could hire someone who has that level of experience, right? And, or has that level of experience, like in the field that you're working in and is already respected. So if you're in health tech, right? Like, is it a doctor? Is it like a physician? Is it like a, you know, I don't know, like a respected consultant or something in that field. So you're thinking about like, who does your ideal audience like want to hear from and why, like who already has that credibility. And then if you don't like guys, it can still be the marketing leader. But then I do think that you need to understand like the industry and like the subject matter enough, like to be able to, to be able to talk the talk and ask the right questions and just like prep really well. You're just going to have to do probably extra prep work on like the questions and things. And so I think that is like one of the biggest things is like, why is somebody going to listen to you? Like kind of start there. And then I think like the second thing in terms of the distribution side, cause that's more the content side. It's like, okay, for your industry and the way that your audience likes to consume content, does that make the most sense? Like, are they going to, to tune into a podcast? And if you have kind of a lower lift uh, channel or program already set up, then you can use that to kind of like build the next big thing. So for instance, like it can be easier to start with, uh, to start with social or like, I think that this is becoming harder and harder, but for some people, maybe it's easier to start with a blog to build your website traffic, or maybe you have other uh, like freemium PLG type plays that can kind of like build your, your audience and like build your, your traffic, right. Where you, you have like enough brand awareness that people will want to tune into your company podcast, right? Because the reality is it's going to be harder to build a company podcast than a personal podcast, right? Like you're having to represent an entire company, which there's going to be red tape and there's going to be this and that. Whereas like your personal podcast, you can do whatever. Right. And, uh, and ultimately, you know, people want to hear from people. So, so those are, those are two things like on both the content mm-hmm. side, uh, and like the distribution side to think about. Do you think that there's sort of an aversion to company podcasts? Do you think people when they're scrolling through their Spotify or Apple podcast playlists or, and opportunities, they see like whatever the cover art is by this company and they see the logo in it, is there a little bit of an aversion you think versus if it's not sponsored by a certain company? Yeah, I I think so. Yeah. Just, we like hearing from people and we like to feel like it's an authentic production. Right. And so once you start, you know, sticking stickers on it, sticking logos on things, then it's like, okay, like there's going to be extra editing. There's going to be, uh, uh, you know, expectations to push a product, right? Like there's going to be more commercials, whatever it is. Like we, we have our perception of like, that's going to be the trade-off, which is why in part, like, I think TikTok and like some of these channels are like becoming like primary ways that people consume content. Cause it just like feels yeah. like you're hearing from this random person that like lives down the street, you know, um, it's yeah. like they're, they're unfiltered thoughts. Like, so there's something really intriguing to people about it being more unfiltered, unedited versus the polish. So, you know, I think we've all like seen the stats out there of like low production video, at least on yes. social and some like can work better than like polished, like overly polished expensive like video production like obviously depends on you know if i'm watching like an hbo show like it should be like high quality work right um but uh, if i'm just trying to catch someone's like attention in the feed right like what's gonna blend in like is it gonna be like my highly uh, edited produced commercial right like that i've put in like a square or like vertical format to kind of like trick you into thinking that it's (laughs) it's organic content 
no, like you're, you're probably going to like want to fit what everyone else is doing. Right. And so, yeah, so it's that simple. that's so true. And just the basic, your LinkedIn, your company LinkedIn versus your personal LinkedIn, which one's going to do better typically the personal, like you just have that human association. It yeah. is interesting how people are drawn to that more authentic raw version of whatever we film or capture. It is so interesting that that's still there. I wonder if that'll ever flip back around to the polished being more popular. Yeah. I mean, so it's interesting for social because that can be gamed by algorithms too. Right. And so it's like, you know, that like some of these social platforms, like purposely suppress like some of like the, the company page stuff too, in part because they want you to buy ads, right? Like that's how they make money. And so they'd rather you not be able to just like build completely like organic off your, off your company page, right. Um, mm -hmm. Or off your company profile or whatever. So there's that working against you <laughs> already. Yeah. And then, yeah, on top of that, there is an element of like, okay, well, I'd rather just like follow someone with a face uh, than a logo. So there's a, yeah, there's yeah. like the two, the two parts of it that kind of working against you. So true. I could talk podcasting the whole episode and all day, but I want to talk to you work for an, a really interesting company. I'd love to dive into and hope maybe you can share a few golden nuggets with us too, but at peersignal.org, it's a ton of research. And we were, we were geeking out about this before we turned on the mic, but the <laughs> different categories and just basically, if you could give us an overview of peer, of peer signal and what people can find there and the best way to leverage the data that's there. And also if you can share any recent golden nuggets or findings that you've shared or are willing to share. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the quick, the quick like TLDR on the background is that Adam, uh, co-founder and CEO and Andrew, the other co-founder and CTO. See, I think it was beginning of 2021, I want to say they kind of like embarked on this, uh, was started as kind of this like research project. They knew they wanted to, to start a company together and then it would be within like the sales marketing space. It'd be in like the tech space. Adam had founded a few companies before that. So he was like very familiar with the process, but wanted to do things a little bit different in that he didn't hundred percent know what that product was going to be. And wanted the market to like tell him what it was going to be or what was needed, right? Which is how you should build <laughs> products uh, in general. But he started out with just kind of like a, as a passion project, mapping out um, and tracking different uh, growth signals. So you can see where, where the name comes in here, but uh, tracking, <laughs> tracking these like signals from uh, B2B companies, and then maybe more specifically uh, PLG companies, product-led growth, and seeing like how they were growing, why they were growing, what's working, and essentially like how should you go to market in 2021, 23, uh, right? And how that how that's evolved. So yeah, so it started with just like building a few different indexes and growing them like a few thousand. And then was also using all that data, all that sort of company data that he was tracking from things like, you know, do they have a podcast? Do they have a PLG motion? Do they use video, right? Like all these different things of like, what's working, what's not working community and like seeing the growth there of like of cloud 100 companies, you know, what percent of them are uh, using X motion, right? So really trying to figure out what's what's working and why, because it's, inter it's interesting for, for anyone that's in B2B and that's in like sales and marketing of like, how can we improve our go-to-market motion? So we had that. And then we actually started getting some inbound interest, like from this uh, free tool, basically, right? 
um, sort of bu building the audience with uh, the research and insights that came from that data of uh, establishing a, a research around that of like things we're learning from PLG and top B2B companies, like podcasting companies uh, or yeah, uh, top companies, uh, top uh, like LinkedIn pages for B2B companies, right? So we've started putting out interesting like research around this. And then from there, had some inbound interest from people saying, hey, like there's a lot of really good data here. Do you think you can help us like with our ICP, with figuring out like who we should who we should sell to? There's like really interesting SaaS uh, and B2B specific data here that we're like not getting from other data providers. And so the answer was yes. And so we like worked with a couple design partners to begin with, and that's how we got our first few customers. And then that's kind of like how Keyplay was born. So Keyplay is like all of the the data and the company company data and insights to build your your ICP list and to like build like the model behind that that we then use on the back end like for peer signal research right so I help uh, drive the the research and work with Adam on that and then Keyplay is our is our SaaS company right is like the SaaS product that we sell so that's kind of how how that started is it really started as a research company added the SaaS product later and then after that we were working on a freemium plan. And landed on kind of like this middle ground of a free tool where you can, uh, you know, build your own list and uh, set your own criteria and set your own model kind of for that. But then, uh, and, they, and then you just pay pay per list, right? So like a, a one-time way for smaller companies to get started that aren't quite ready, you know, to do an annual plan or don't know if this is going to be a repeatable motion for them, but want to just be able to test. And we're big proponents of a freemium and, and PLG. And so, so that was kind of like a, a way for us to make it easier for, for people who want to get started to get started. Love that. And I saw recently on, uh, I think you shared on LinkedIn, one of your most recent data polls, and it was which categories in SaaS, I believe, are growing or hiring right now. Can you share that info? I'm sure that would be helpful to know to our audience for who are A, either looking for a job or B, looking which markets are healthy and thriving that they should target right now since it's tough pickings out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some background on that was that we just noticed that, and we were talking about this before the show, but like things like um, Nasus, I'm going to say this wrong, but like sick uh, codes and um, yeah, Nikes, all those, NAIC, all those industry, yeah, <laughs> yeah all old those, school like, categories. <laughs> exactly, like old school categories and ways that we categorize like industries is outdated in that like fintech and AI, like those, those didn't exist, like, you know, like 10 years ago, right? And so, but we're still using like the same methods to the point where we were talking about this, like if you go, if you go on LinkedIn and you try and categorize your own company, you try and like set up your own company on LinkedIn, it's like you either need to say that it's a software development company if you want to say you're in SaaS, or if you are in MarTech, you can say you're like a marketing agency. And those things yeah. are not representative of what you actually are and actually pretty misleading. And so if I'm trying they to- They don't have, just a quick chime in, they yeah, don't yeah. have podcasts as a category. Uh, so I'm definitely assumed to be an agency because I put marketing and advertising as my category. And every day I'm bombarded with people trying to sell me things for my agency or leads right. for my agency. I'm like, sorry, wrong person, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's just, it's not helpful to anyone. Like it's not representative of who you are. And it's not helpful for sales to be able to figure out 
okay, who, who should I be talking to? So then it leads to like a lot of wasted time and like wasted conversations. So yeah, so I think that there just hasn't been a, a good like subcategorization of SaaS was part of it. But then really just like industries as a whole, I think have gotten a lot more uh, sophisticated and niche. And so like a, a way that we sell commerce is like e-commerce, D2C, right? So we like we have this whole cut out the middleman, sell online like way of doing things that's not really like reflected in some of these things. So there's everything from how, how you go to market, whether or not you're you're a software company, whether or not you're a B2B company, and then you know, specific verticals within there. And so so for us, like we started mapping out, okay, you might have your primary category and then you have like secondary category tags to help kind of tell the big picture to not just complement, but I think like replace like industries, right? So we're just doing, I think, a better job of of mapping the market. And um, to answer your question, the the research look that we found recently of like, basically we're trying to answer who's still growing, like what software companies are still doing well. And some of the things that surfaced to the top were security and compliance was number one in terms of recent funding, hiring growth, recruiting growth, all of that. And it's like amount of funding too. So it makes sense in that it's like, when you think of painkillers and vitamins, like right now you should be thinking about are we a painkiller or a vitamin solution and like how can we move into the painkiller space and so for them like that's become like a mission critical thing for for a lot of tech companies to come like past past a certain stage like you can't just get around you can't just not be compliant if you want to like work with enterprise companies you can't just not have security so makes sense that's number one and then two is uh, generative ai so ai is actually like lower down on the list and we suspect that that's because it's talking about old school AI or like first generation AI, whereas like generative AI has really taken this leap. And that's where a lot of like the obvious opportunities are with AI. And so Mm. a lot of the generative AI companies are really growing. And then a couple of the other ones are developer tools. So again, like uh, you need, (laughs) you need people to build the products and like they need the tech to be able to work and to do their job. And so like that powers everything, like everything is a tech company or needs to run on tech. Right. And so makes sense like that, that would be up there. And then, so yeah, surprisingly, like uh, HR tech was like the other one that I was commenting on because you might expect it with like the recent uh, layoffs and the recent economy. But the reality is that like not all HR tech is recruiting and we even saw some recruiting tools do well. But like remote work is is going to be here to stay. So I, so you yeah. have like some tools that help with remote work, that help with payroll, that help with paying freelancers too. So as all these other trends are coming up, HR tools like play into that as well. So those are some of the top ones that we've seen yeah. within SaaS, like specifically that you wouldn't just wouldn't be captured when you don't track these categories, like when yeah. you don't when you don't like have the proper categorization. That's something that we've been working on uh, lately. Yeah. That uh, I think we're doing a decent job of. It's so important because I mean, if no slight to LinkedIn, I love LinkedIn, but if, if they did this kind of study themselves with their current categories, what would it say is actually growing because of the miscategorization or everything just being bundled into something that doesn't make sense, that umbrella, like it would just be like, IT is growing when really we see it's not for the most part, like you need to dive in deeper. Yeah. So interesting. And with HR tech. Yeah. And with HR tech, even it makes sense. If, even if recruiting tech, like you said, you see that growing too, because there's so many applicants for every position that's out there. Like how do the recruiters sort through all of this and find the gems? It's probably so daunting 
that they need really powerful tools to sort through it and find the right folks to look at. So it's, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's the it's like operationalizing some of these things when you have volume on either side, right? Where if it's if you have a lot of applicants, right, um, or if you have a lot of demand, right. So then yeah. you have tools like um, it's Lever or Lever, where it's uh, a job boards like type a uh, job page, you know, type tool, and yeah. so. There are things like that where it's just like, how do we just make ourselves visible enough and make the process easy enough like for people to figure out uh, and filter through whether or not this is a good a good company? So yeah, that'd be a good example of something that is still kind of mission critical. Like you can't just not have, I guess you could, but at this point, like most companies need a career page or want a career page, right? So there's yeah. some tools like that. That's just like a no brainer. Yeah, I feel like I'm going to geek out over Peer Signal after this call later today and just do some digging into all the data and what I can pull from this. It's so fascinating that just the different trends. You must get lost in the numbers all day looking at this stuff. Yeah, this could actually be a, a good exercise like af after this. And yeah, I'm not going to like push it or like sell it too hard. But but if I were you and like working in podcasting, right, like we do have a GTM signal for, you know, whether or not they, whether or not a company has a podcast, right? And so yeah. you might like start with, okay, I want to target or I want to talk to more AI companies because now you know that <laughs> uh, AI companies have some budget, right? Like they have some budget, they're growing. And you can also even sort by how much they're growing, right? Or like how sort of, to me, like how viable like that company is going to be in the next few years, and like how sustainable that model yeah. is. So it's like, okay, I really believe in this. And I actually, you know, really like creating content around that. Maybe you do it around you a background in, in fintech, right? Like we have a fintech in, index and you know, let's say you have a finance background. So you're like, I really want to work with finance companies. I know how to do that already. So you might like start with that yeah. index of like, I'll start with the AI index and then I'll sort by some of those like signals that I care about. I'll sort by uh, whether or not they look to already have a podcast, whether or not maybe they already do events. Like you could look for webinar or live events. Cause then you're like, okay, maybe they have some fuel yeah. like, that we can repurpose like into a podcast. So it's like, what types of things do they already invest in and care about? And like, how can I kind of like analyze that to kind of like figure out who's prime, like to take that next step and set up a podcast. Right. So those yeah. are like the types of things like that people kind of get ideas for. I think a lot of peer signal is like, it's a little bit of like spying on the competition, right? Like what's everyone else doing and maybe inspiring yeah. other ideas. Like we have galleries for tons of home pages, pricing pages. So if you're working on a website, it's just like fun to go in there. And I do this ah. as well and just get inspiration. Of like, what's everyone else doing? <laughs> and who are the types of companies that I want to be like? Yeah. So it's primarily used for that. And then just like for ideas, I think like on, on the sales side, because obviously we have some like more robust tools to help with that. But directionally, I think yeah. it's good to just be like, where should I just start? <laughs> right? Like, where are there some opportunities and where, where should I get yeah. started? I love that. And no, what I'm also seeing is, I think this would be a really good tool for job seekers because they can do research and find out based on a combination of their strengths and experience and narrow that down and then look at who's growing in those various fields. And if they're in event marketing, who actually invests in events, if they are a podcast marketer, who does that? So they can just pull those levers, like you said. And also, if you have these galleries, it's great for interview prep. 
So I feel like there's so much value for anybody that's really on a, a serious job hunt right now to do their research with Peer Signal. Again, yeah. I, I, I'm not trying to hard pitch your product, but it is, I just feel like there's so many ways to, to leverage it. So that's really, really interesting. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I feel like, uh, that that's like teed it up perfectly. So I won't like, uh, yeah, like keep, keep pushing this, but I will just say that like, that was the idea behind, um, we set up some of these like niche indexes for AI and for FinTech. And so within that, there's actually a tab for like FinTech jobs, right? If I'm interested in specifically in FinTech jobs or AI jobs. And then we have one other thing that for people who might be listening, you could be familiar with like Corporate Bro. He has a pretty big following right now. He appeals to a lot of, uh, especially uh, people in tech, but especially people in sales tech. So we partnered up with him to create um, stillhiring.today. So it's actually Ah. a a totally separate site. Like it's just a free site that uh, is like a community led thing where anyone can submit a job who works at that company. So they actually have to like know that jobs are are available at that company and know kind of like the state of recent layoffs, for instance. Yeah. So, and then we just enrich that data, right? So we like give you all of the other context that you'll, you'd need to research a company. It's not enough to just be like, this company is hiring for my role. It's like, how is that company doing though? (laughs) And is it a good fit for me? So we help enrich like all of that data uh, to make it a more kind of like robust and actionable tool. So that's like a, just a free tool for for job seekers that are especially looking for jobs like in, in tech and in B2B, it's a little skewed that way. Very cool. I'll put the link in show notes too for everyone to access it. Awesome. And sorry, I know we're going over time here, but again, I could geek out over numbers and (laughs) podcasting with you all day. Appreciate it. But to wrap things up, Camille, if you could go back in time and talk to yourself pre-moving down to Texas, what would your one piece of advice be getting into B2B marketing and content marketing? What would you tell your, your young self, younger self? Yeah, I would, I would say I wasn't like thrilled about working in, in B2B to start. Right. And so like B2B doesn't have to be boring, I guess is like the, the cliche that I would, I would start off with of like, you know, there's definitely some upsides of that, of when you're selling bigger contracts and there's different types of challenges. And so I think Mm -hmm. if you think of things that you don't want to do as challenges, and then honestly, like an upside is like, because there are bigger deals, like oftentimes like those jobs pay better too. Right. So like try and try and basically like see maybe like the silver lining in your situation and use it as like a a growth opportunity of like, what can I learn here? um, And what types of skills, like, can I learn to get me where I do want to go? And like, could that change? I'd be open to, to that changing. Like I've actually liked B2B and like stayed in B2B. Right. And so, so I think just like seeing things you don't want to do as growth opportunities. Love that. It's all leading you down a different path and it'll take you where you're supposed to go. Do you ever see yourself going into B2C eventually? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I can see it. I I think it's circle. I, yeah, I, I can definitely, I can definitely see that. I think for, for me, it's more just like believing in the product. Right. So if I think yeah, there's a, I think if there's a, a good product and a good mission behind like, like uh, a B2B company and I can see like how I would slot in and how I would help like improve that, then I can be in B2B. It can be in B2C. Um, I definitely be open to that at some point. Cool. So interesting. Well, thank you so much, Camille, for for shedding some light on two main things for us, podcasting and and content logistics and this data that I'm excited to go into more. But thank you. I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all of this. Thanks, Jane. Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember to like, subscribe, follow, share 
comment, review, do all the things to show us the love. Appreciate it so much and hear you, listen to you, or you listen to us. See you next time. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>